Hello dear listeners. Welcome to Japan Casting Podcast. I'm Praveen Sharma from India, hosting the podcast with Professor Steve McCarty. Today we are here to interview Professor Steve again and get his insightful, thought-provoking and experienced observations on various questions. Hello Professor Steve. Welcome to one more interaction in a short time. The presentations from your students have added a quality aspect to, to our podcast. It has become more inclusive in its approach by getting content from the students. Your insights about uh, various concerns of Japanese history and contemporary matters have also brought significant interest to the Japan Casting Podcast project. Professor Ramesh Sharma has been one of the founders of this project and the force behind me to keep it going. He has shared some questions and observations. Based on the same, I have prepared this interview plan. Let's initiate and we will get rewarded with your answers on them. The first question for you Professor Steve in this interview is about uh, the religious harmony that we see in Japan, the peace or the dedication of people towards a different kind of discipline which centers around their own well-being. So how does Japan maintain religious harmony? Regarding the harmony between different religions in Japan, well actually a new book is just out called A Passion for Japan. It includes my chapter in it which is called Discovering Japanese Fusion of Religions on the Pilgrimage Island of Shikoku. So uh, I think that you'll have a chance to uh, see that uh, book and to uh, read the chapter actually is uh, being offered free on the, the web and so let your you know listeners know that and uh, but uh, generally the Japanese uh, you know can naturally maintain a religious harmony because they they never had a, a sense like a Western religions like uh, Islam and Christianity which uh, there's only one way that's correct and the others are, are wrong and so it leads to you know conflict between the religions but uh, in Japan's case they were looking for you know whatever works for them you know if they had uh, you know infectious diseases in ancient Japan you know and if they're like indigenous you know rituals uh, that now called the Shinto you know did not work then they would be receptive to you know to, to uh, you know Buddhist uh, spells you know uh, or uh, you know lucky charms you know coming from China and or anything that you know that they would hope would uh, would work and so I so I like I was saying so they don't have like an a sense of like of absolute uh, religions but more like a you know kind of a relative uh, a sense of uh, relative things that so don't conflict with the with each other so they can hold different religions or, or even opposite things in their mind you know without always having you know a sense of you know of a conflict that it cannot be resolved i think it even uh, in in ancient hinduism you know they developed the idea that there are different paths up the mountain and so they were not insisting you know that one way was correct and the others were were wrong so i think that actually asia has that uh, that tradition starting in in india you know where religions can be you know in uh, 
you know, not in conflict with each other or can even be, uh, you know, combined uh, with, e with each other to make a, like a greater system. So that is called uh, I know, syncretism. And uh, uh, my uh, uh, chapter title calls it more simply, you know, the fusion of religions, you know, on the pilgrimage island of Shikoku, where I think that we've had previous, you know, podcasts about that, uh, about that island that has the great, uh, you know, pilgrimage of Shikoku. So I, ho I hope that uh, answers your question and that uh, you and your listeners will be able to uh, to see the book a passion for japan or to uh, you know read the chapter online the discovering japanese fusion of religions on the pilgrimage island of shikoku yes professor we are also going to share the link to the book in our blog as well as into the description of this podcast to add to one more question about understanding the culture of Japan and the character of Japan in the contemporary world, how we see it, what makes uh, the Japanese so punctual in terms of uh, time management? Why Japanese are so punctual in, with uh, time management? Uh, so I think again it comes naturally to them from a long uh, tradition. Uh, I have one theory that uh, that uh, Japanese uh, in the ancient times as a communal society, they, they had to work very hard and work together uh, to um, you know, maintain like the cycle of rice production, which was uh, not easy on, on a land with uh, the kind of uh, soil or you know, volcanic soil and, and the, the conditions of Japan. So people had to work really hard and everyone had to get involved. So everyone is planting the rice at the same time in the village and then everyone is harvesting at the same time. You know, so you get the idea of a very, uh, of a kind of, a, that could be related to uh, punctuality. And then uh, another big factor is uh, in the Japanese way of thinking that they don't want to bother others. And so if you're late, then you'll inconvenience uh, others. And uh, so that's uh, um, another, another factor. So when, when I was uh, at, at uh, the first college where I was a faculty member, you know, the, the um, you know, boss of the college you know, had everyone write, you know, what is their, you know, philosophy of life and stuff. And uh, so I was writing all these things about philosophy and psychology and, and, uh, and but then I, then when the results came out and other, other professors were writing things like that my philosophy is not to bother other people. Now these are college professors. You know, and uh, it, it, it reminds me that there's a stereotype of Japan that they, they don't have a sense of irony. But just think that the professors who said, you know, that their philosophy was not bothering people, so it actually, it, it, uh, it implies that, that the, the college was bo bothering them by asking such a question. So that's a perfect kind of a subtlety of, uh, of Japanese, uh, you know, irony and their way of communication that you can easily miss, you know, the, the, the deeper meanings. And then uh, I think then there's another thing maybe related to punctuality where the Japanese developed traditions that are called like just so, 
like a doing things just so, and it may be related. Uh, so if you if you look at traditions like uh, the tea ceremony or the flower arranging, so the, uh, they don't try to you know innovate or do something new, but they do exactly the way it was always done. You know, so they have this sense of uh, precision. You know that uh, I think that uh, it extends to many things, including then the way they make, you know, even products and uh, precision machinery and uh, th things like that. Much appreciated, Professor. We should agree to one thing, as you have also said that Japanese don't want to bother others, and probably the the amount of people whom we see as successful around the world, around you and me as well. These are the same people who try to prefer less inconvenience to other people and they try to be on time so that everyone appreciates them and learns from them. Another question from Professor Sharma. What has made Japan a technology leader as the society freely uses tech devices for daily life activities? Okay, so regarding Japan as a well, society using technology, uh, actually, uh, I think that you know Japan is uh, kind of overrated in 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 a way that has a image as a technology giant, but it actually since since the digital you know era you know Japan has sort of fallen behind. So they were better at the sort of like a hardware you know, or making you know physical devices better than the more abstract you know digital you know uh, world that that we live in now. So actually they have uh, fallen behind and they depend on a lot of uh, like Indian software engineers, you know, to do the back-end, you know, work to uh, to keep their new digital society uh, to running. But they do, you know, still have, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, high-tech successes. And so one reason that they did not resist, you know, technology or even uh, robots you know, robotics in the first place was because that uh, the, it did not threaten the jobs of many Japanese people. So Japanese uh, have a custom of, of job security of, uh, you know, not being fired by the, the companies. So companies demand loyalty of their workers, but at the same time, like they offer them, you know, the lifetime employment of uh, that kind of security, you know, traditionally. You know, then in, uh, in uh, you know recent decades, there uh, there has been some you know rationalization or you know cutting of uh, of uh, workers. They might cut the whole section or of uh, in order to avoid like uh, firing individuals and uh, uh, things like this. So, but generally, that even robots did not uh, threaten people's jobs. Because Japan has uh, had a you know labor shortage for for decades, and so so actually that that auto automation and um, you know robotics ha have not you know threatened people's jobs in in any way, and so then combined with their culture of cuteness, you know they have uh, turned you know robots into something uh, uh, cute. Like there, I think there was a, a movie or something called Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. So that means just, you know, thank you, Mr. Robot. And uh, so that's the kind of uh, the image that they, that they have, you know, then, uh, then they're so short on uh, workers to take care of the elderly that they are thinking about, uh, you know, having a robot, say, use uh, 
uh, robots to uh, to do things to take care of the elderly. But this is very difficult and uh, and a kind of uh, not the usual kind of a human touch. That is one of the good things about Japan, you know. But just results from uh, necessity, and then and then turning to uh, technology. The next question sounds quite interesting, and I also like it. Japan is a great combo example of natural beauty and technology giant industries. How is this balance maintained that we see aesthetics equally preferred and respected by the Japanese people almost with the same preference they have been giving to technological developments? So how this particular uh, serenity and peace and balance is being maintained in their life and their work in terms of technology and the, the appreciation they have for natural beauty? And I must mention this thing to our listeners that if you see Professor McCarthy's Facebook page or his social media, he has been visiting different places where he clicks beautiful images of flowers and mountains and the nature's beauty. How you and the Japanese people maintain this balance? So now you say that Japan has a great combination of natural beauty and technology with uh, giant industries, and how do they maintain this uh, balance? I think that they don't uh, really try much to to maintain a balance that they they mostly lost in the period of post-war industrialization, and uh, so they pretty much sacrificed a lot of the the recreation potential of the coastline by, you know, devoting it to, you know, exporting uh, the industries. And so that, that's another stereotype of Japanese that isn't really true, you know, that they are close to nature. So they are actually more like uh, prefer to live in a, an artificial environment uh, with air conditioning and heating and uh, the kind of environment of like shopping malls and uh, coffee shops is the environment that they, that they like. Yeah, but uh, in, in, in recent years, uh, I think that uh, there has been, you know, less uh, pollution. We're getting really blue skies, you know, in Japan, partly because, of the, you know, Chinese uh, in- industry is uh, down and not, you know, pumping out, you know, pollution that combines with, uh, you know, the dust from the Gobi Desert and, and uh, other things like this. So even like cities like uh, Osaka, where I live near, are enjoying you know blue skies and uh, kind of a, a nice uh, you know, natural beauty. And uh, although the, there's there are not many parks like in Osaka, like uh, in uh, the cherry blossom season, like the whole city turns pink, you know, with those. Uh, blossoms and so uh, and we have uh, the nature is well preserved in some cities like a Kyoto and Nara and uh, or the countryside where they you know just did not uh, develop you know beyond uh, farming and then uh, Japan is uh, about two-thirds mountains and so they and this the mountains are rather steep and uh, difficult to you know to develop and so they kind of let the mountains go and uh, and uh, and people mostly live in the flatlands, you know, below the mountains. 
and uh, then they also import most of their lumber from you know places like uh, you know Indonesia you know rather than uh, you know cutting down their their own forests and so in that way you know they have preserved some natural uh, beauty thank you professor as we all have observed in the recent decades in these years that japan has turned into a geriatric society the society which is turning old so the aging factor has come up to, into japan where people are turning old and there are less number of young people uh, in terms of population so what do you think that uh, being a geriatric society so what values are the younger generations have been provided with and uh, do they respect their seniors and elders who have been guiding them and have taken japan to such heights uh, in in the world so that you have i mentioned that japan is an aging society and it certainly is a great uh, issue in fact i just have a, an article coming out uh, soon uh, uh, where i uh, you know discuss uh, the, how people were w- working beyond uh, uh, retirement and uh, and so i recommend you know people like are uh, working less and doing more enjoyable but still you know meaningful a- activities in society and uh, i call that career tapering So, but uh, Japan has a you know huge problem of, uh, of of a few young people and many elderly people, you know which puts puts pressure on the retirement uh, pension system and and creates uh, other problems. They don't have enough labor to take care of the increasing number of uh, of elderly, and then the, the old folks' uh, homes you know become more expensive. and uh, they uh, have a difficult time you know even finding the workers and so like they turn to ro- robots as i mentioned uh, before but that's i think very uh, difficult and perhaps uh, unrealistic but regarding like the how the younger generations uh, view this this issue so and uh, on the the negative side you know that some younger you know workers are kind of resenting you know there's so much of their like increasing taxes you know goes to support the the, the huge number of uh, you know retirees and like uh, my wife's uh, parents like they retired at age 60 and then now they're in their their 80s and they just they never worked another day and they ever <laughs> enjoyed life and they had a big enough pensions that they could travel abroad and you go to all different uh, countries even you know without uh, speaking english they just didn't uh, uh, join like a japanese language to tourists and uh, so the, the, uh, so the and the elderly really have a you know good healthy lifestyle so i've mentioned before how japan has the longest average healthy uh, years of of life uh, more than 73 years of healthy active life uh, which is the important thing and uh, so uh, young people are well so trained when they're they're very young in very various ways and uh, and they're trained to respect uh, you know the older people uh, originally this uh, well officially it comes from the, Ch- the chinese uh, culture at uh, the religion that in english is in english that called confucianism and uh, that is uh, you know uh, with uh, they have called like a filial piety and all these other things i like the 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 younger 
even siblings, uh, younger brothers and sisters who respect the older ones. And so, of course, younger people respect the older ones. And uh, and there in, in traditional Japanese society, there were like a seating arrangements, like where the, the older ones were the more important and would sit in the, you know, at the head of a table and things like this. So I think that that uh, traditional system is breaking down a little, but it's still a part of their, you know, traditional common sense to respect the, the elderly. And they have a respect for Elderly Day, which is a holiday uh, as well. Thank you, Professor, for your time. We do have some more questions left, which are about education and teaching English language in Japan. How English language teaching and learning is taken up in Japan, how they use and see this language. We shall ask you these questions in our new episode, which will come next week. We invite our listeners to visit our blog, Japan Casting Podcast, on iklaveparv.com and listen to Japan Casting Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Ghana.com, Google Podcasts, and wherever you can find podcasts online. Thank you very much, Professor Steve. We shall wait for you in our new episode, which will focus on some questions about Japanese education system. Thank you, everyone.